Welcome back, everybody, to a snowy edition here in Pennsylvania of Canton Bound. I'm Austin, uh, as usual, and I'm here with my co-host, Colin. What is up, everybody? Thank you for coming back this week. Yeah, we're going to talk some talk some football here. I mean, nice looking outside. You know, this is playoff weather, you know, playoff football. Look out the window, see that snow on the ground. It's, uh, it's uh, it, it, you know, it, it Christmas time, white Christmas. I don't hate it. How about you? Nah, I'm, I'm always a big fan of a white Christmas. Um, you know, snow in January, February, March, like, no thank you. Uh, but, you know, snow right around Christmas time, always, always a crowd pleaser. Yeah, yeah. Festive, festive. Where, you know, that's the first word that comes to mind when I think of us in this show. So Festive? Oh, absolutely. I'm sitting here. I mean, you guys can't see me right now, but, you know, I'm sitting here in a full decked out ugly Christmas sweater, reindeer antlers, the whole thing. I've been wearing it since Thanksgiving. It's a sight. It's a sight. All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll just jump on into it. Um, so, so we, everybody, I think knows by now that 2020 has been a historic year for for rookies uh, performing in their first year in the league. Uh, we've got, you know, aside from the quarterbacks, I mean, we have Herbert, who's been really good. Tua's had a couple of good games, and Burrow was was obviously tearing it up before his unfortunate demise. Um, a lot of running backs that have been that have been producing. You know, Swift, Dobbins have had their weeks. Um, uh, Jonathan Taylor's been heating up here. Anthony or Antonio Gibson. List goes on and on. And then the receivers. I don't think we even have to list all those guys out, but we've got a bunch of wide receiver one, two, three guys, which is just unheard of. So we wanted to talk a little bit, just kind of what we thought of these guys before the season, if if what they're doing now is a surprise to us, and then how we see them moving forward. So I think the first guy that we want to talk about is a guy that we both really like. So I'm going to kick this one to you first, Colin. DeAndre Swift, running back for the Lions. Um, what were your thoughts on him before we knew what his landing spot was going to be? Yeah, so I mean, before the landing spot, you know, before we figured that out, um, he was my wide or running back one in the class. You know, I was, I was a big fan of Swift. Uh, I was scooping him up, you know, anywhere that I could in, in the off season, uh, you know, in the one C2C that we're in, uh, you know, I had managed to to scoop him up in an expansion draft. Um, you know, I think he's just, he was, he was just absolutely electric like, at Georgia. You know, every time he touched the ball, you know, he was a threat to take it to the house. He's so shifty. Um, and he was a great pass catcher too, which is something that you always want to see out of your running back nowadays. You know, it's nice to have a guy who's a passable pass catcher. You know, they they give you something in the pass game. But with DeAndre Swift, you know, he was a true weapon in the pass game. You know, can hit him out of the backfield. They can line him up out wide. He can run routes like a receiver. You know, so I that was like one of the biggest things that really impressed me about him in his time at Georgia. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I thought he had very good open field vision. Uh, you know, he's, like I said, he's a threat to take it to the house every time. And that's not just because of his speed. That's also because of how elusive he is and how he can just make people miss. Um, and I thought he did need some work in pass pro. That was like my, my biggest note on him, but you know what rookie doesn't. So yeah, he was definitely yeah. my wide receiver one, uh, yeah. coming out. I was a big wide, fan of him. Wide receiver one, huh? Oh, 
Well, yeah, wide receiver <laughs> yeah. one, put it up there on the board. Hey, you know, he was George's wide receiver one for years. I mean, I can remember I like wrote really big in his notes that because I, I watched a lot of Georgia games over those two years because I, I had to watch for Fromm. I had to watch for Hardman. Like, I had to watch for all these guys that Riley Ridley, like all these guys that just weren't very good. And you'd watch them and you'd see Swift catch a pass. And you're like, this dude's the best pass catcher on the team. And he's their running back. Like, that's not good if you're a school like Georgia. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I, I he was my RB one as well, barely. I mean, him and Taylor were so close that really nothing separated them. And I think of the drafts that I was able to get one or the other, I think I ended up with two and two of them. Like I think I split it down the middle on purpose, just in case something happened or you know I, I, I was covered either way. Um, and I don't think well, that was the wrong call. I don't know what I don't know what you think about that. No, I think that's a good idea. I was going to say, I know you ended up with uh, Taylor in both of the leagues that we're in together because I was hoping to snag him in one. Uh didn't work out, and unfortunately, I had to settle for my RB1 Swift, so it's fine. But no, I was kind of with a similar mindset there where, you know, Swift was my RB1, but Taylor was, Taylor was up there as well. Probably a 1A, 1B situation. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, you obviously snagged Taylor, so but I was fine taking Swift there. Yeah. Um, even before we found out the landing spot. Yeah. So when we found out landing spot, did that hurt him in your eyes at all? Um, a little bit only because I didn't really love, um, you know, just Matt Patricia led teams, you know, not, not great. Daryl Bevel. Yeah. I w- didn't really impress me as much as a, as an OC. So I didn't love that, but you know, everybody was afraid of carry on Johnson and I just, I, I wasn't. You know, he's just not a guy who can stay healthy. He was solid at Auburn, but he's pretty much just a guy, you know, when he's on the field, nothing really special there. And, and Swift, like I said, I thought Swift was special. So I had no doubt that Swift is going to take over that job there. I did, you know, obviously I was a little bit worried about how long it was going to take just because Matt Patricia and Daryl Bevel both seem like guys who don't want to just hand the keys to a rookie. They kind of are like the tough hard ass guys who probably make him want to earn it. So I was a little worried about that, but overall I didn't scare me off. Are you buying him this off season? Absolutely. If, if I can find somebody selling him. Yeah, absolutely. And if I don't already own him in that league. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would be all over buying him this year just because, you know, AP has gone. Um, so you don't have really have to worry about that. Uh, and then, yeah, carry on still around. But like I said, he's always banged up. He's just a guy. So I'll be interested to see who they bring in as a head coach, you know, how they overhaul that entire organization. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see that could, you know, make his stock stay where it's at for me, which is high or even make it rise depending. But yeah, I would absolutely buy if, if I could. Looking at guys that are in college now at the running back position, this you did no prep for this, so we're just coming at you hot here with this, and we'll, we'll see what, what the answer is Episode on the spot. Four, I'm already a pro, so hit me with it. Perfect. Are there any running backs in college right now that you would trade Swift for? Straight in a C, up? In a C2C league. A straight up, or even if it's not straight up, like a very small piece added on to it, like nothing significant. Uh, so that's a, that's a great question. You know, I definitely, definitely appreciate the heads up and the prep on that one. Let me consult my notes here, but, uh, no, so there's not any that jump out immediately. 
Uh, I mean, we like we mentioned, we were both big Bajan guys. Yeah. Uh, so I, I could I could be persuaded to to trade Swift for Bijan and another small piece, like you were saying. Um, probably at, at that point, it'd be a wide receiver or something like that. But I, just personal philosophy for me, I do find it hard to trade, you know, like a one for one and uh, within the same position. Just because typically it's more of just like an evaluation thing where like you like this guy more than this guy, but it's in the same position. So like I already have a guy I like at that position. You know, why would I want to trade Swift for Dobbins? You know, Dobbins is another guy I like, or why would I want to trade Swift for Taylor? Or even if you go into the C2C ranks, you know, Swift for Najee or ETN, like that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Cause like, I like the guy that I have. So I don't want to just trade laterally within a position for a guy that I also like, but maybe not quite as much. So if I'm going to move somebody, it typically has to be for another position. Okay. So if you're on the, <clears throat> if you're on the clock then in a startup this coming year and you're on the NFL side of things and you need a running back at your pick and Swift and the guy that we're about to talk to talk about next here and JK Dobbins are on the board, which one are you taking? Man, see, I like you're really putting to test the uh, talent versus uh, situation thing here. So, I would I would lean Swift, um, just because like I said he was my RB one. He was ahead of Dobbins in my rankings. He hasn't done anything to drop in the rankings. I do like the potential of J.K. Dobbins in that offense uh, a little bit more, especially with Gus Edwards being a UFA. Uh, and then, you know, Mark Ingram will still be there, but they have an out potentially. So who knows exactly what that's going to be. But I foresee J.K. Dobbins being the head guy there in that Ravens rushing attack. And I mean, they're you know one of the top run heavy teams in the league. So he's going to get his opportunities. But on the clock, I would still take Swift. Yeah. Yeah. And Dobbins has looked good this year. I guess we can just segue right into him since we uh, uh, since he's next on the list here. He's he's averaging six and six point one yards per carry this year, which oh no sorry five point three six point one per reception sorry five point three yards per carry which is still great. Um, yeah. He's done better than I thought he would. I thought he would take. I thought he was going to be a guy that that took a little bit longer to get acclimated to the league. Um, I mean he he was a sparked up guy. I mean I think out of high school he tested what out, out of all the running backs in his class he was the highest spark guy. Yeah, yeah um, he he set the uh, the open on fire. Yeah, yeah. I I never really saw a sparked up guy on the field though, which scared me a little bit about him. I mean, I still gave him uh, a round one uh, rookie grade, uh, which usually for me means day one, early day two uh, NFL draft guy. Um, but yeah, I never, I never, he, it never looked like he was, you know, just just bigger, faster, stronger than people. Um, but, uh, but he did, I mean, he did look strong. I mean, he had a very, very powerful lower body. He could drag guys with him. Um, definition of a one cut runner. I thought at Ohio state. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes to his detriment, to be honest, he'd, he'd keep trying to stretch, stretch, stretch the play to get that one cut up the field. Um, and he did have solid hands. He wasn't DeAndre Swift, uh, but he's still pretty solid. Um, uh, what? Where did you? Ha- I had him RB four. I had him behind Swift, who was one, Taylor, who was two, and Acres, who was three. Where did you have Dobbins? 
Uh, I had Dobbins at three, so just ahead of Acres. Okay. Um, I was a big fan of Dobbins. I mean, he just had you know, one of the first note that I have here on my tape rankings from 2020 when I was watching him is just contact balance. He just seemed to bounce off everybody in college. So, like, that was one of the things that I loved to see. He was a tough runner. He always was trying to take defenders on. He was always falling forward. So that was something that I really liked with him. Uh, but, you know, like you mentioned, he's, he was a solid pass catcher, uh, which was something else that I liked too. I mean, nowadays, if you're going to be a fantasy threat, you have to at least be a plus in the pass game. If you're not necessarily a weapon like a Swift, like a McCaffrey, like a Kamara, you at least have to be a plus unless you're Derrick Henry. But, you know, I mean, even he's not a bad pass catcher. I mean, yeah. he screens and stuff he's dangerous on. So, yeah, he's, he's not a total liability. <clears throat> no, but the thing with Dobbins, too, though, that I really liked was, you know, I liked his uh, lateral agility. You know, when he would make those cuts, it was always sharp. It was real quick. And then his acceleration, just he would just burst through there. So I really liked that. And, I mean, you see that, too, you know, at the NFL level, too, here with, like you were saying, his uh, his yard per carry is, like, efficient. He's one of the most efficient running backs in the league right now. Um, he's sixth in the league in rush yards over expectation. So you're starting to see, like, some of these traits, fall like, come through, even though he's not getting – necessarily the workload that you want to see for it from it. Yeah. The the thing that that I always have a really hard time evaluating with some of these guys, and it's not just at the running back position, it's really any position, is I thought Dobbins' footwork was really unorthodox at times. And what I mean, like he he would um when he would move laterally sometimes, like you know when you were like in like when you were six years old and you go to soccer practice and they'd make you do like the karaoke or whatever it was down the field. <laughs> Like he, he would do that where like his feet would like cross each other at, at times when he would cut. And I was just like, I don't know what to make of, like, I don't know if that's replicable in the NFL or if this dude is just going to get destroyed. Like the first time he does that, but he, I have, well, a, I haven't seen him do it at all this year, which means I think somebody told him to start like work with him <laughs> to not do that anymore, which is good. I mean, you know, you want to see these guys grow. Um, <clears throat> The other thing that I wanted to talk about with him a little bit is, and it's kind of my biggest gripe about college football as a whole. And I'm actually surprised that it hasn't changed because now we have a lot of the sports gambling stuff in all these states where we don't have actual injury reports on these kids. Right. And his sophomore tape was really bad. Like it, like I had, I had bumped him really far down because he looked twice, like he looked like half the player he was as a true freshman. And he, they said he was injured, but I mean, you assume if these guys are playing, especially at a big school like that, because they have other options that that they're okay. But apparently, the injury was pretty bad. And no data on what it was, though. No, no. so that was like, I, I always had that in the back of my mind when I was watching him, like freshman, junior years were good. Sophomore year was really bad. And I tried to make, I, I never really made sense of that until much later when I guess we found out that, that he was really dinged up that year. Yeah, no, I mean, when you look at his numbers, freshman year, 1400 yards rushing, uh, sophomore year, a thousand yards rushing. Yeah. And then junior year, 2000 yards rushing. So, you know, there's a pretty clear outlier there. So I definitely get the concern there, but I just, I think when you see, you know, just a standout freshman year and then a standout junior year, 
I think at that point, it's safe to assume that something wasn't quite right that sophomore year. So yeah, it's definitely concerning. He didn't look right. His stats were not nearly what they were the other two years. But like I said, I think at that point, you don't necessarily want to write it off, but you you bump it down in importance. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he, that sophomore year, he was operating behind Mike Weber too. Right. Which, who, yeah. I mean, he's not good. He was, no. he had, you know, he had what, a cup of coffee with the, the Cowboys in the NFL. I don't even know if he's on like a practice squad or anything this oh. year. Um, I, I saw him on the Panthers at some point, maybe. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, with the extended roster, yeah. that wouldn't shock me at all if he's somewhere. But I, Mike Weber just isn't good. So it, it really surprised me because I mean, and I, I've talked to, to Bruning a lot about this because he's a he's a big Ohio State guy, and he said that because because I'm I mean Urban Meyer's not a dummy. He's won national yeah. championships. He's he built these great teams. He's not going to just start a guy that sucks over like this tag guy that's way more talented than him. And it, Bruning said that he he does that to a fault. He gets loyal to guys. So I, I guess maybe that was something that I wish I'd known in the moment as well. Um, it's to kind of contextualize that sophomore year performance. Yeah, I mean that's definitely fair. I see. I try to, I try to forget about the Urban Meyer days there, and I mean now Ryan Day's do, do, doing the exact same thing. You know, as a Penn he's State doing, fan, he's so. doing more. Yeah, <laughs> you thought okay. that's like you jump out of the cat or the what out of the pan into the fire or whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean that's good to know that like you know that he he had a guy to a fault there, then that's why he stuck with with Weber maybe a little bit longer than he should, but. Again, too, you know, with the injury as well. Like I said, I, I just pretty much wrote off that sophomore year coming into it. And that's why he was ahead of Acres for me. Yeah. Is just because of what he did those other two years. Yeah. So it sounds like we both had the top four, same top four, slightly different order, but, uh, you know, close enough. If you're in a draft and you're building your draft board for this year in a startup, what order are you putting those guys in now between Taylor, Swift, Dobbins, and Acres? Honestly, I'm probably probably leaving it where it is, you know. Um, that's where I had it coming out. You know, I did, I did plenty of research in the off season. You know, I built my <laughs> rankings off of, uh, you know, what I saw on tape. You know, what I all of the research I did, and coming off of the draft class, you know, and where their landing spots were. That's still pretty much where I had things. So, I, I don't think a lot had. Nobody has done enough out of that group to really vault themselves up ahead of the others. So I would keep it where it is right now. So I would still keep it uh, Swift, Taylor, Dobbins, Acres for me. But honestly, I'm happy with any of those four. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, I, I'm on the clock. I'm, I'm fine with any of them. Cool. So those are the only running backs that we have on the list here to discuss. And we'll probably talk some more about some of these guys at a later date. I mean, yeah, for sure. so many guys this year. Um in terms of comparing that class, do you think the 2023 class is looking comparable right now in terms of guys at the top? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I really do. I was I was actually thinking that too, uh, you know, as I've been doing a little bit of prep for the the 2023 class and a little bit of Debbie work that you know, when you when the this class when they were freshmen, you know, and then you can throw Najee Harris in there too because, you know, he was with this group as a freshman. You know, that class was just incredible. You know, Dobbins blew up as a freshman. You know, Najee and Akers were both top recruits. They both, you know, they didn't 
blow the world up on on their freshman year, but they showed enough that you felt good about them. Um, and yeah, Jonathan Taylor, obviously at uh, at Wisconsin, you know, he lit it up too. So so you were you were very happy, uh, you know, if you were investing in the 2020 RB class back in you know 2018. You were very happy with that. And I think you're going to see something similar with the 2023 class where you have the Swift type guy in Gibbs where he's like, you know, just, you know, a great pass catcher and everything like that as well. You know, you have the the all around guy, the Dobbins, Bajan type, uh, you know, so you have you have a little bit of everything there. You get a little bit of your flavor with uh, Bigsby's in there, too. Um, you know, we'll see what Kendall Milton and Marshawn Lloyd can end up doing. Um, so yeah, I think you get a little bit of everything with that class. So I would absolutely be investing in them as well. I, I was looking at my rankings the other day and I have, I have eight 2023 guys in my top two tiers. So as day one or day two picks for me right now, um, okay. and, the only, and the only one of them that I think is in there that hasn't done a significant amount this year is, um, is Kendall Milton and he's flashed. He's been right. behind cook and, uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, White. White. Yeah. Um, but uh, but other than that, I mean, we have Bijan, Jameer Gibbs, Tank Bigsby. I have tier one grades on all three of those guys. Then I have Zach Evans, uh, Diamante Trianum, uh, good old Chip. Then Kendall Milton, uh, Marshawn Lloyd, who's a forgotten guy in that class, but I think still has every opportunity to be a top top back. And then uh, Jace McClellan, Alabama, who looks like he might have the leg up on. The, every other running back on that roster, they have a bunch of other highly rated guys. You right. know, um, what Royce? Um, then you have uh, Trey yeah. Sanders, Keelan Robinson. Yeah, it's just a ton of guys there. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. To, I, I'm buying if I can. I'm buying uh, all of those guys that I can. It's hard. It's hard to buy them. Right? Yeah, people are holding those right. guys. Well, it, it seems to kind of be coming in waves right now because you had the 2017 class with Fournette and McCaffrey and Mixon. Um, Kamara and Hunt are in there as well. You know, now three years later, you're getting Dobbins, Akers, Taylor, Swift. Uh, you, you throw Ceh in there too, Gibson. and then twenty, yeah, Gibson yeah. through. And twenty twenty three, you know, you're getting uh, Bigsby and Gibbs and Bijan, Kendall Milton. Uh, you know, Zach Evans too. You know, throw him in there as well. We'll see with Marshawn Lloyd, but. And, and I'm sure somebody else will, will pop up here and there as well and just throw their name in there. But it just seems to be coming in waves nowadays. So it's like every three years you want to be investing in a class or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough running back talk. Let's um, let's shift to wide receiver here a little bit because there's plenty of those guys to, to discuss. First one I have on the list here is C.D. Lamb. And I'm not going to say I was wrong on C.D. Lamb because I had a first-round grade on him. I had him rated as my third wide receiver. I didn't think that he would produce uh, kind of like Dobbins. I didn't think he would produce quite as early as he did, even though he went to a really nice landing spot there in Dallas, just because, you know, Gallup's there, Cooper's there, Zeke has to get the ball, you know, Jarwin. And then uh, apparently when he went down, Schultz is okay too. Um, what were your, what, where, where did you have Lamb? pre-draft you know what what were your notes on him in college and what did you think of him before you learned landing spots so yeah i mean i had i did have judy one lamb two was kind of 
very similar to, to Swift and Taylor, where it was pretty much a 1A, 1B thing, but I did definitely have Judy ahead of him. But one of the things that really struck me about Lamb in, in college was just his ability with the ball in his hands, just his ability in the open field. You know, he he could accelerate quickly, win, win the open field with jukes. He could win with power. He was impossible to bring down. You know, he had enough long speed that, you know, you probably weren't going to catch him on behind from behind. You know, and he also he was a punt returner so that, you know, you also saw the, the open field vision there. So that was the biggest thing for me that I loved with C.D. Lamb. And that was one of the things that I was going to be very interested to see where he went to see if they were going to be in an offense that could use him in the best possible way and just let him do his thing. Yeah. He's the rare wide receiver, in my opinion, that he like he averaged 17 and a half. Uh, yards per reception for, as a freshman 17.8 as a sophomore and 21.4 as a junior but he wasn't really a deep ball guy and he wasn't really like a screen game guy either he did a lot of yak stuff on the intermediate work which is yep. is rare usually if you're a yak guy you know you're you're catching slants you're on screens you know like small little routes that kind of just get you into space immediately and, and let you work with the ball on your hands so i thought that was really interesting about him and i can't really remember a lot of other guys like that no, I mean, I think A.J. Brown, similar with that. You know, they, they're both like big yak guys. They're both, um, you know, and they're both, uh, you know, fluid and, and, and they can, they're, they're elusive, but they're also, they got some power behind them as well. So I think that's probably the closest guy that I could compare that to. But, you know, again, I don't really like comps. So that's not a one for one comp. Yeah, because he's not. I mean, he's not the the tank that that AJ no. is. Uh, but very few are, um, to be fair. So, but I did think he would struggle a little bit as a yak guy in the NFL because he wasn't. Um, he's not like super shifty. Like, he he's elusive, but I wouldn't say yeah. he's you know juking guys out of their shoes. He's no. not super big like AJ Brown. He's not crazy fast like Tyreek Hill. I mean, he didn't have like any of those plus physical attributes. So I did. I was a little bit concerned about whether that part of his game would translate. I thought his ceiling, it, well, his ceiling. If he hit that, he could he could be a wide receiver one. But I thought it was more likely that he would be a possession and red zone guy in the NFL because of his you know, body insane body control. He had that touchdown a couple of weeks ago um, where he, he kind of like saw that ball at the last second and contorted himself around the corner there. Um, so that, that's where I thought he would make his money in the NFL. And he, I actually think that's not that far off. He's just for the, you know, the first, however many weeks of the year before Dak went down, he was in a, in a situation that allowed him to do all of those things at a high volume immediately. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you made a great point about just how acrobatic he was and how great he is in the air. One of the things that is always going to stand out to me with CD Lamb is that play against UCLA, where if you haven't seen that clip, like go look at that highlight up. But he just, it's along the sideline. Oh, yeah. He throws it up. Yeah. And he just goes up and it just looks like Odell Beckham's the catch from, from his rookie year. Like it's insane. You know, I, it, like few people can do that. So that was you know, never a doubt in my mind that he would be a solid red zone guy as well. But I like said, you know, he did show that off early in the season with Dak. It's just really a shame that, you know, obviously for a multitude of reasons, but it 
it's a shame that you know Dak went down because you really would have liked to see what CD Lamb could have done with a full year of Dak as a rookie. But you know, it's kind of created a little bit of a buying window for him. So where you could move a guy, you know, who showed out a little bit, you know, like maybe a Chase Claypool, um, you know, maybe a Denzel Mims here in, in a package for CD Lamb, and you're not going to get laughed at or anything like that. You know, you, you may get a counter back or you, the guy may entertain it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, let's not do a comparison quite yet, but the other big uh, rookie wide receiver here is Justin Jefferson with the Vikings. And he was a guy that he had an early breakout. So I don't want to say that he wasn't on radars. I mean, I, I try, I took him in a startup C2C league, um, but I got him for really cheap. It was an auction. So I don't remember exactly how much it was, but I want to say like my, my uh, strategy going into that auction was to out of like 2000 startup dollars at the auction. I wanted to get like five or six receivers for like 80 to $120, like in that range the guys that I thought had a lot of upside at that, at that value. And that, so that's probably the range that I got him in. So less than, you know, 5%, 5% or so of the total, total budget, which, you know, is, uh, is a steal, but he, he really rose up boards late, I think. Uh, and he, I mean, obviously really benefited from the historic LSU season, where kind of just everything came together at the perfect time for all those guys. I mean, let's let's admit it. I think if one of those pieces is missing last year, maybe you see uh, not quite the same year that that a lot of those guys had. Um, so, where did you have Jefferson, and should we have had him higher? Uh, so I'm going to say no. I shouldn't have had him higher because he was my wide receiver three. You know, I was I was a big fan of Jefferson there. I mean, he had he had the metrics that you were looking for as well with the dominator rating. Uh, and then he had put up 1500 yards and 18 touchdowns, like you're saying, that historic offense where, you know, everything just kind of came together and he looked good. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things that people were concerned about with him was his athleticism. Or, you know, how was he going to run at the combine? And they were they were fair questions just because he didn't, he didn't always display that like a, you know, a Judy did or, or like a Jalen Rager. Like it wasn't an obvious one, but I never had any questions with his, you know, his long speed. You know, there were, there were times where if you went back to his sophomore tape where, you know, he caught a pass and then, you know, he, he wouldn't necessarily pull away from guys, but they weren't catching him from behind. You know, he could have a long touchdown run. So I was fine with his long speed. You know, he was never really going to be a yak monster kind of a guy like uh, like Judy or like Lamb were. But, you know, I think he provided enough in that game as well where he was he he was shifty. You know, he wasn't going to he wasn't going to blow anybody, you know, leave anybody's shoes on the turf there. But, you know, he could run through an arm tackle. He could, you know, get you off balance a little bit. So. I had him as my wide receiver three there. So I was very high on him because I was very high on Judy and Lamb as well. Um, so to have him three ahead of some of those other guys, like I was, I was pretty happy with where I had him and where he's ended up. So I'm going to do you one better. Cause I had him as my wide receiver too. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I had, it was Judy Jefferson and lamb were all guys that I thought okay. had the, had the upside to be wide receiver, wide receiver ones. But the J Jeff is actually, 
performed in the opposite of the role that I thought he would be in. He has succeeded deep a lot more this this year than I thought he would. And I guess maybe uh, we discounted his ability to win like that because they didn't really ask him to at LSU last year. Jamar Chase was that guy. But he... Because I didn't subscribe to the he's just a slot guy theory. But I thought at work, if the if he doesn't work out on the outside, he can move into the slot somewhere and be a really good player there. So I, I did like how good he was as a slot guy, but I was not buying that that was his only spot. I thought I comped him, and like uh, like you, I don't really like comps that much, but I thought stylistically he was kind of a cross between like Cooper Cup and Tyler Boyd. And he has played more like Boyd this year than I thought he would because um, Boyd is a little more versatile than people think as well. Yeah. Um, and and I think Chris Olave is kind of – he's not going to be as high as these two guys on my boards this year. But if I'm in a C2C or a Debbie League, I think I'm looking to buy Chris Olave because he does a lot of the same things that these guys do where he's not like a blistering fast guy, not like crazy explosive, but he just kind of glides past people and you blink and, and he's gone. Um so it, it's that kind of profile, I think. And I, I like that profile a lot. I'm kind of a sucker for that. Um, so I, I don't know. You you are too a little bit, aren't you? I am, yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest, you know, with the listeners here, like I get a lot of my wide receiver evaluation and a lot of like what I look for. I, I pick a lot of that up in conversations with you. You know, I, I tend to defer to you on wide receivers just because, you know, your track record with them, and, you know, obviously you, you haven't had like public rankings for, for a long time. So there's not really any way for anybody to fact check these or anything like that. But just through conversations you and I have, your track record with wide receivers has been really good. So, you know, I uh, before we started, you know, talking about doing this, putting this together, the podcast, uh, you know, all these articles, the website that's going to be coming. Before we started talking about that, I would have to try to coax your uh, thoughts out of uh, out of you on your wide receivers, just because we were in so many leagues together. I knew you didn't want me to snipe you. You'd get me uh, drunk. Don't lie. Well, yeah, I just I didn't want to say that on air, <laughs> and this is recorded as well, so it was completely consensual. Everybody, um, you know, just so so no need to report this at all. You can actually even edit this out in post, please. But yeah, no, back circling back around. Yeah, like I do like that archetype. Um, so. I, I do like Alave. Um, I don't have a final spot on where I'm going to slot him in in this class just because the wide receiver class is so deep this year. But I do think he's going to be a guy, who, like you said, I think he's going to go under the radar. And I think he could have a – and, again, this isn't a stylistic comp at all. It's more like statistical comps. I think he could have a Chase Claypool-like rise where nobody re- – like you liked him, but nobody really saw this much production coming. Yeah. I think you could see that next year. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me at all either. Um, if you want to see, I, I did post on Twitter. My pinned tweet is um, my preseason ranks for last year on all these guys. Uh, and there was some shifting, but you can see generally guys didn't move a ton. Um, and, and in that league that I took um, that I took Jefferson in, I also drafted Devonta Smith, Devin DuVernay. Um, who else did I have in that league? T. Higgins. Um so it, it it was a very good and, draft. Yeah, and this and is I, a, this is a startup going yeah. into uh, what year was that going into? Not it was it was going into 2019. Yeah. So, so yes. So you were ahead of the curve on all of these guys. And then I traded every single one of them away. We don't want to talk about that. 
I, so, I lost. You know, I lost in the playoffs in that league this week. It was painful. Trade evaluation needs some work. Player evaluation, top notch. I, I like having a lot of a lot of you know bullets in the chamber here. You know, I I might you know be shooting them off into nowhere, but but they, <laughs> they were at least in there to start to start shooting. So you know, maybe someday we'll get well you know we'll we'll start hitting the target a little bit. Listen to him for player evaluation. Listen to me for trade evaluation. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We figured that out early here in the show now. So so there you go, guys. Every everybody listen to that. Um, so, so moving forward, would you rather have Lamb or Jefferson then? Uh, I mean, moving forward, I don't know how you say anybody other than Lamb just because of the way that offense is. Um, you know, obviously Lamb was ahead of, uh, of Jefferson and me for me for the rankings in the preseason. So, you know, he's not, Jefferson didn't jump him here or anything like that. Although Jefferson has had a fantastic year, but what it comes down to is the quarterback that they're tied to. And, Sure, we don't know that Dak is coming back to be a Cowboy, but I would be very surprised if he's not. And that injury doesn't really scare me with Dak. You know, it's it's not one that's going to linger. It's not one that's going to be long-term. So I think it's something that he's going to be, you know, April rolls around and you're going to see footage of him. You're moving fine, like normal. And then spring practices roll around and it's going to be a complete afterthought. So just the fact that CeeDee Lamb is tied to that offense tied to Dak as a quarterback. Gallup's going to be a free agent. They're probably not going to have the money to bring him back with the way the cap's going right now, you know, and potentially could move on from Cooper or, and then bring Gallup back. You know, I don't know how that's going to shake out just because Cooper's cap number is a lot higher. Yeah. Um, but either way, I think lamb is going to be the wide receiver two on that offense. So not going to keep all three of those guys. So he's looking at an increased role. And early on in the season with Dak healthy, he had at least five catches for 50 yards in every game. So, you know, that kind of shows you the floor that he could have in the role that he has now. And with an expanded role, you know, I, I think he could be a wide receiver one, top end wide receiver one. Yeah, that's fair. I'm actually going to go the opposite direction. I think I'd rather have Justin Jefferson. And I, I, I really understand that argument and if somebody said like if you say that to me i don't think it's you know out out of left field or, or dumb or anything but I, give me the guy it's kind of that the like the ajb corollary or whatever where he doesn't get targeted a ton but there once in a while you just get these guys that like break the efficiency metrics and you keep saying they can't keep doing this on x amount of touches and it just doesn't matter AJ Brown has done it two years in a row now. So I, I'm pretty convinced that that's, that's just that's his game. And it would not shock me at all if this is Justin Jefferson's game too. So give me the guy that, that has been incredibly efficient on less volume this year. And then I'll hope, I don't know what's going to happen in the next year or two that offense. I think you're going to see a lot of changes there with Thielen uh, getting up there. You know, they have what cousins has a year or two left there and then they'll probably move on from him. You would think depending on how the cap rebounds. So there could be a, a big shakeup for him in, in terms of supporting cast, but they could, so we could see a scenario where his volume just go, it goes up exponentially. And I think in that case, even if the efficiency drops a little bit, you're, ext- you're extremely happy with, what he's giving you. So give, so give me Justin Jefferson based on that theory. Okay. Does the run heaviness of that offense worry you at all? I mean, they're the fifth highest, you know, run percentage offense this year, uh, which was on par with last year. So like you see that philosophy where they're just very run heavy. Does that worry you at all? If they were better defensively, it would worry me. 
<laughs> but they're not. So there are times where they get behind and they have to start throw. I mean, they don't like abandon the run, but there are times where they'll they'll get behind and they'll they'll run a hurry up and they'll start hitting some of that quick hitting stuff. And with his slot background, I think he can run that game just as just as well as he can do the field stretching stuff. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I don't think I think it also means that they probably aren't going to go out and get another receiver. At least not that's a good point. early. Like they're they're probably very happy with Thielen and him. And then, you know, maybe they take a guy in the fifth round or something this year. I don't know what their their pick situation's looking like, but uh, that that makes me like that. I that gives me a little bit of security when I think about it. Okay. So the other wide receiver we want to talk about here today uh, is T. Higgins, who was a Clemson guy uh, drafted by Cincinnati early second round. Um. I, I had a, a first-round grade on Higgins for most of the year, and then toward the end of the year, he slipped a little bit for me. And I don't want to be like the the boomer guy that's like, you know, he didn't go to the, the combine and do anything. You know, he's got no heart. I, I don't want to be that guy. But when speed is your big concern and you come up with every excuse under the sun to not run for us, Doubt crept into my mind. I don't know. I think you felt similarly about that. I think we did have discussions at the time. Yeah, I mean, like you said, when when you, everybody knows what your big concern is and you choose to not run and you choose to not address that concern, I can't fault the guy because, you know, let's say he does run at the combine and I don't know what he would have ran, but let's say it's like a four, six, you know, I, and you know, that's going to, that's going to really hurt his draft stock. So, you know, there was definitely somebody smart in his ear saying, Hey, don't run now, run at your pro day. Obviously pro days blow up with the pandemic. So that didn't happen. So we never really got a chance to see him run at all, but I can't fault him for that. But yeah, that was definitely a concern of mine. You know, I didn't, I wanted to see him run. And like you said, he came up with every excuse under the sun to not run at the combine. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think in like, I hope the pandemic is a, in the future guys look at it as the pro days aren't certain. And I'm going to do a little bit more at the combine, but that's, I mean, I, that's probably wishful thinking on my part. And like I said, I'm trying not to be like a boomer, you know, about this because, because generally I'm, I don't get you know worked up about that kind of stuff, but especially I think in such a deep, deep class, those little things sep- start separating guys once you get to the, you know, the time where you got to really make your choices. And if you've got a bunch of guys that have run, you know, even average times, I, I like seeing that over a guy that, doesn't look crazy fast and then refused to run for us. So that was, but, but other than that, I I liked everything about his game. I thought in terms of his ability to stack and shed, he was one of the best guys in the class, despite being six, four two fifteen. Um, And he really like, you have to be careful with those guys that, that are really technical receivers because they're making up for a lack of athleticism. I don't want to say T Higgins has a lack of athleticism, but he, he was very technical uh, he had good footwork and kind of, it was pretty good at beating, you know, press off the line. Um, so there, there were a lot of really good things there. Um, 
I didn't expect him to have the rookie year that he had because Green was still there, and I, I really like Tyler Boyd. But he surpassed Green so quickly; like, it just blew my mind how how quickly he he became. You know, Joe Burrow's one of his go to guys. Yeah, I mean AJ Green's fall from grace has kind of been surprising. Like everybody kept saying, "Oh, you know, once he's healthy, he's going to be good." Because he had, you know, last year he was banged up a little bit. The year before that, he was kind of banged up. They coming into this year, they're like, "Oh, he's healthy." Yeah, they they brought in Higgins, but it's still AJ Green. He's still he's still elite, and you just you haven't seen that this year. He's just been he was lapped, you know, by Boyd. You know, now he's lapped again by T Higgins. And you got to kind of wonder what that's going to spell for his NFL future. But as far as Higgins goes, Higgins NFL future is bright. You yeah. Know, he's going to be tied to Joe Burrow. So, and that offense. So with, that's, that's a piece I want. With how good Higgins and Boyd are, it wouldn't surprise me either if he leaves there and he goes somewhere else next year and is productive. AJ Green. AJ? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not like going out to buy him anywhere, but it just wouldn't surprise me at all. And he could be a guy where, um, for like, if I'm making a playoff run next year, maybe I go try to pick him up in like week eight or whatever, and he's like a nice depth piece for me. Because um, yeah, that just wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, AJ Green more is. I mean, obviously, like you said, I'm not going out to acquire him right now for sure, and I'm definitely not going to acquire him this off season. You know, maybe down the stretch run if he shows he's productive, maybe. But I think AJ Green for me more is a guy where if I have him. I'm waiting to see where he goes in free agency. And as soon as he goes somewhere and people start to hype it up a little bit, I'm looking to sell. I'm looking yeah. to get out. Cool. Well, maybe we can work out. I don't know if we have any leagues where you have AJ Green and I don't. <laughs> I don't have AJ Green anywhere. So good luck. There we go. Okay. Well, you know, maybe maybe you'll come into some AJ Green and you can shift them over to me. Well, yeah, we can talk. We can talk. Perfect. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to talk some more about some of the rookies this year because there's just so many to talk about. Uh, we can't spend a whole episode, especially when we try to keep these things around an hour or so. Um, so we're going to move on to our other segment here for the day. Um, and, you know, we're only four episodes in, but I think one of the, the structural things we, we like to try to do on this show here is we kind of want to spend some time during the show looking backward. We want to spend some time looking forward and then kind of in the now as well. Um so we kind of did the we I mean we kind of did all three in the first segment here, um, but this one uh, we want to talk about acquiring some vets. And I know we talked a little bit about it the other day, but it was more in the sense of trying to find the guy that's value is going to skyrocket over the next year. You know, depending on like a landing spot or a situation change up. Uh, but but this is one where, especially in C two Cs, where I think a lot of managers get really caught up in. The, the shiny freshman, sophomore, you know, even guys like right when they're coming to the NFL, if they get a favorable landing spot, there is a lot of value to be had for managers that, that want to go out and buy established NFL vets. So who are some guys here that if we're in a C2C league, and somebody's infatuated with uh, maybe not one of my 2023 running backs, depending on the price, but you know, um, some of the, some of those wide receivers, or maybe maybe some of like the some of the QBs, depending on what you think of them, that that you're trading away to get one of these vets. Yeah. So this 
This one is, I think it's really poignant because like you said, with, with C2C leagues, you can find people just really being youth-minded. Uh, and you, you see that in Dynasty Leagues too, where, you know, the guy in the league who always wants to have the, the rookie picks, you know, they have two or three first rookie firsts every year, and they're always looking to get the new shiny rookies. And they're just, they never win because they're perpetually just rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding because they have to have the youngest guy. And you see that a lot in C2C leagues too. Now you do get, if you go the college route, you do get the production at the college level. So it's a viable strategy potentially, but you still can't neglect these older guys where, where, you know, you can just buy them for, for cheap, for unproven college production. And one of the guys that I would be looking to acquire, uh, you know, this off season as well is Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, he's, he's a little bit older. Uh, you know, he's 32 and uh, you, you guys can't see it. Austin's looking at me confused because I literally just changed this on the show sheet. Yeah, you uh, had Matt Ryan on there. You I did. <laughs> I did. I changed. I changed this uh, probably two hours ago, maybe. Okay. okay. Uh, so it shows you how up to date you are on that show sheet. But yeah, I had Matt Ryan. I thought more about it, and I went with Tannehill. And the reason I went Tannehill is. I mean, I mean, he's 32, Matt Ryan's 35, you know, I think r- roughly they'll probably have about the same shelf life left. You know, we, we talked about it before it kind of looking that two to three year window. Um, but the thing that really separated Tannehill for me is you know, he, he provides a little bit of rushing production and he's mobile. And I think, I mean, yeah, as, as a QB gets older, that might decline a little bit, but nowadays, like if you aren't mobile, you know, I don't, I don't really want to look to buy that player. So I thought about it and I'm fine having Matt Ryan on my team, but if I'm going to buy somebody, I would rather buy a guy like Tannehill and Tannehill's QB 10 on in point by points per game this year. QB nine last year. If you go by points per game, if you include Jeff Driscoll's, you know, whatever performance that was uh, last year. And that was, he did that in 11 games. So He's shown top 10 QB potential for two years in a row now, but people don't really seem to, to pick up on that necessarily. Everybody wants to, to go after, you know, the, the rookie guys or, or the younger guys, or they still have stuck in their minds uh, that, you know, Brady breeze are, are the, and, you know, Rogers too, but I would still put Rogers ahead of Tannehill, but they have those guys ahead of him in their mind the Brady's and Breeze's just based on their history. But you know, when you look back at it, these last two years, Tannehill's Tannehill's fine. You can win matchups with Tannehill. The the, the stench of Adam Gase, for some reason, because I think we all know by now that he's playing for Adam Gase is a death sentence, at least while you're on the team with him. But we haven't quite, at least in my experience, as as dynasty and uh, Devi and all that managers in our minds squared that, that fact with, with the fact that all these guys produce when he's gone between Tannehill and, you know, Devontae Parker, uh, you know, those guys like that, that, that have done something once they leave him. And I think you're going to see it again with some of these jets guys this year, if, and when he leaves there. So I would agree with that. I I've seen him go for like a late first, and in, in like a regular dynasty league in, in a C2C 
what would you move for him? Like if you had to do like maybe like a, a college side quarterback and then like another piece added onto it, but the, the quarterback is like the main piece for a guy maybe rebuilding, what quarterbacks would you throw in a deal for him? Uh, so, I mean, if you're, if you want the QB to be the centerpiece of the deal, it'd probably have to be a little bit better. Um, now, uh, so I wouldn't give up a CJ Stroud. I wouldn't give up, you know, obviously not Bryce Young. Like that's that's too much. Stroud, you have a little bit of you have a little bit of concern there with, um, you know, with them recruiting, you know, coming in this year with McCord. But I, I still like Stroud, so I wouldn't give up Stroud in that situation. I think if you go quarterback, um, I mean, I was a bigger Hudson Card guy than you were, so a quarterback in the center of the deal, I could see being a Hudson Card. Also a Chuba Purdy for me as well, which we talked about before, which I you're not a, as big of a believer in as I am. So I would look to that tier of a quarterback. Um, maybe Shug, uh, Show, however we say that one. Maybe somebody on, on that tier if I'm centering the deal on the quarterback. I think you're cheaping out a little bit on that. I'm not going to lie. So. I, th- I would go... I have, uh, in terms of my C2C quarterbacks, I have Keaton Slovis as quarterback seven. And I think he's the highest that I would go. But I think it would take that level of a guy uh, to get a, to get Ryan Tannehill from me, personally. Okay, so you're saying if you have Tannehill, you would need a guy in the Slovis range. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think, I think the thing with that for me is I think think that's where our valuations differ because like I said I'm higher on a card or a Chuba Purdy where I think those guys I think you're going to see them take over their offense next year I think you're going to see them have solid production you know so they'll have two years of solid production at the C2C level whereas Slovis only has next year Um, and then he is you know he'll go to your your NFL team Um, so I you know, yeah, you're only getting the one year there, but you know, then he's coming up and he'll replace your your Tannehill. So I don't think I would give up Slovis for that. Um, but it, you, you know, maybe I am being a little cheap on there. What what do you, what do you think besides Slovis? If you're looking a younger college quarterback, I just I don't think I can move a starting NFL quarterback in arguably their prime for a guy that has like played five snaps in college. That just wouldn't work for me. I, there's how many quarterbacks are there in the NFL that you would actually want starting on your dynasty team week in week out. Cause I mean, there's, there's the Danny dimes of the world that I don't want. <laughs> there's whoever is starting for the Redskins. I don't want, um, there's, you know, I, I wouldn't want to start two of this year. I'd like him on my roster, but I don't think I'd be comfortable starting him if I'm trying to do something. Uh, I don't know if I want, I'm trying to think of some other guys maybe that, that I'm not, as crazy about on my team but um yeah so i i I think it would take a guy that i that has shown something that they could be projected to be an nfl guy but that might just be me well i think one of the things too is where if i'm giving up Tannehill, i'm assuming that my nfl team is not going to be productive this year next year so i am looking towards the future a little bit more um, so I don't know. I could potentially see, I, I, you, you could, you could coax probably CJ Stroud out of there for me. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily go with one of these top 2022 guys. 
Uh, we'll see how they shake out after I get a chance to dive into their tape more a little bit this offseason. But I do think I'm a little bit higher on Slovis than you might be. So one more guy name I'm going to throw out here to see what you think. Uh, Dylan Gabriel. In a deal for Ryan Tannehill. So I, would I you be okay to... getting him as like the centerpiece in a deal for Tannehill? Would I be okay getting Gabriel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd be okay getting Gabriel on that one. Um, again, I, I want to dive in a little bit more this offseason before I would finalize an answer on that one. But yeah, uh, right now where the way things stand, I would I would be comfortable getting Dylan Gabriel. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because he's going to put up a lot of points next year at college, right. regardless of what you think of his NFL future. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I mean that that was just I thought an interesting name that popped into my head as we were talking there. So. Um, okay. So I, I have another quarterback that I, that I listed here and it's Matt Stafford, a, who I think has just been underrated, like his entire career outside of like the first year or two, because uh, Detroit has just failed to put a team around him virtually every year he's been in the league and he's, um, he, he's, he's outperformed the stuff he's had around him. Generally speaking, I think. His current ADP, it looks like, is roughly QB15, depending on where you look, which isn't crazy cheap. But he's another guy where I think in, in the C2C world, people get, get enamored by um, like the Jaden Daniels of the world, Keaton Slovis's of the world, guys like that, that have some significant question marks in their profile. So if I have, if I have Jaden Daniels, I think... I, if I'm trying to compete or, you know, cause Stafford's only what 32, I, yeah. I would trade Jaden Daniels for Matt Stafford, I think in a C2C. See, I think, I, I, I think with Stafford, I probably wouldn't now with Tannehill, I probably would, but I'm also not as high on Daniels pro potential as you are. Now I think you're going to get a really solid year of production from Daniels next year but I'm not really sold on his pro prospects yet. So I would definitely give him up for, for, you know, in the Tannehill discussion. Now, I don't know if I would give him up for Stafford. I would probably need more for Jaden, for Jaden Daniels than Stafford. Just going back to, like I said, I, I don't want to necessarily be buying the pocket passers anymore. Uh, I, I look more for the mobility. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. So that uh, we talked a little bit about a quarterback there. Let's talk some wide receiver uh, guys that we're looking to go out and get. Uh, who's, who's, who's someone you're targeting across your leagues? So one of the guys that I'm targeting is just a guy who's just perpetually underrated and a guy who everybody thinks is like way older than he actually is. And that's Robert Woods. You know, he's, he's only 28 years old. So he's right there in the prime of his career. He's got that, Still two to three year window of probably a pretty elite production uh, or, you know, back end wide receiver one production somewhere around there. And, you know, as long as he stays tied to the the Rams offense, which, you know, he's going to be tied to that offense for the next two years, at least, um, you know, he's a guy that I would want to buy. You know, he's wide receiver 13 on the year this year. He's wide receiver 14 on the year last year. He's wide receiver 11 the year before that. So he's hovering right around that back end wide receiver one uh, rate ranking. So 
then that's three years in a row. And I don't see that changing next year. You know, they'll, they'll pretty much run it back with their entire team next year. Now, I mean, Josh Reynolds is, will be as a free agent, so he may go, but you're going to see Van Jefferson probably step into that role. So that's pretty much a non-factor for me. And they're running at the eighth highest rate this year, the Rams, and they were at the eighth lowest rate last year. So, you know, wide receiver 13 with the run eighth run heaviest team, wide receiver 14 with the eighth most pass heavy team. He produces either way. You know, he just has a very safe floor. And, you know, you do see a couple boom weeks there. I mean, this year against Tampa in week 11, he dropped a 30 point game. So he has that in his capability, but he's just a very safe player. And he's just, like I said, he's a guy who's just perpetually underrated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love safe wide receivers. That's kind of what I, I trend, I, I tend to build my NFL side rosters around. So he's, I have him a lot of places actually. Um, and, and I do really like him. I like the offense. Goff's not going anywhere. Him and Cup probably aren't going anywhere. Uh, the running, it seems like whoever they move at running back this year, it doesn't change much there. So they're going to have those guys all there. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Robert Woods. If you're looking to trade some college side stuff for him, what is maybe a or, you know, trade him away? What is like the centerpiece of that deal look like for you? What level of player uh, so if i'm buying woods and i'm trading somebody away to get him um uh, you know the centerpiece of that deal for me it's you know it's not going to be any of those 2023 running backs um uh, you know like we were mentioning earlier like a, we're, we're really high on them and you're going to get two years of college production before they even get into the pros so i'd probably look maybe towards that 2022 class uh you know maybe something centered around an isaiah spiller um, you know, probably somewhere along there. I would have liked to see Noah Kane a little bit more. Um, you know, I still like him, although it just seems like whoever Penn State plugs in at running yeah. back produces. Uh, you know, that, that's what happens when you only recruit like freaks at that position. Yeah, like, yeah, they just can't recruit quarterbacks to save to save our lives. But, but we will get great running backs. So, you know, I. I could potentially – I'm still higher on Kane than probably other people are, so like I would lump him into that group as well. Um, so probably somebody in that tier for me. I So just totally – well, on, on topic but off topic at the same time, we were talking last night. I think it was even after the after show uh, on, on Debbie Debate. Felix was – he's in the middle of a C2C startup, and he said that he had – ignored running back for too long and now he was kind of getting to the bottom of the barrel um I, I forget what round he said he was in but he he said that uh was it kevon or cavone how do you see lee the running back the freshman yeah. running back for penn state he went before noah kane in a draft noah kane was still on the board which really i was like go get kane like he yeah. he, he was like okay i'm gonna queue him up so i hope by the time this drops and you know, maybe his league mates don't hear any of this before. Uh, <laughs> if they do, I'm sorry, Felix. Uh, but that really shocked me that that because I yeah, Kane is just a huge screaming buy for me right yeah. now and and C2C leagues for sure. Yeah, and and that's just the recency bias that you see sneaking in where you know Kane had that season-ending injury and Kevon Lee has looked good. So yeah, I mean, 
I would be buying Lee if I could, but like you say, Kane is just a screaming buy. He's just an obvious candidate to to bounce back next year in a normal year. They're gonna give him. They're likely gonna give him the looks, you know, to start the year, despite how good Lee has looked, because Kane was the guy coming into it, and you know they have Ford there too, but. So, so you may get a little bit of a three-headed monster there, but I still like Kane a lot. I like him a lot for the pro prospect side as well. And it is just a real shame with, with Journey Brown because I was a big fan of him too. You know, I had him pretty high in this class. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'd agree with that. Um, back on topic here now. Um, <laughs> so I have probably name-dropped him like three times on the show here already. But a guy that I am just going out and buying everywhere that I don't – I've already bought him most places. But if I don't have him yet, I'm buying Tyler Boyd. And, yes, I'm a huge Pitt fan, but that's not really the reason why I'm buying him. I looked up his ADP uh, a couple different places. So according to Fantasy Pros, his dynasty ADP is 30. He's behind guys like Odell, Cooper Cup, Mike Evans. I would take him before all of those guys at value. Okay. On Dynasty Nerds, his ADP is 33. He's behind Thielen, Landry, and Odell. I would take him behind those guys. Yes. I would take him before any of those guys. Yeah. I would I would have some pause there taking him over Cup or Evans. Um, but yeah, over over the rest of the guys you listed. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I think I think with those guys, for me, it, it, even if I don't necessarily like I understand Mike Evans is more valued. But at value, like I would trade Evans for Boyd and right. That well that's or something and be like completely happy because I feel like I'd rather have Boyd than Evans as it is. So, you know, it's one of those things. Um but do you know what his his finishes over the past 3 seasons are in fantasy? And I don't. hit me with some knowledge. So, 2018, he was wide receiver wide receiver 17 on a point per game basis. He finished 17 overall with 76 for a thousand, just over a thousand yards, seven touchdowns. 2019, he was wide receiver 28 on a point per game basis, but he finished 18th overall uh, with 90 catches for about a thousand and fifty yards and five touchdowns. And this year, he's wide receiver 21 on a point per game basis and 18th overall with 78 catches for 840 yards and four touchdowns. He's 26. People view him in the same age category as Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and those guys when, in fact, he's he's younger and he's tied to a really good quarterback, assuming that Drew Burrow comes back, with a guy that's going to be there for a couple years to be his running mates. I don't see how he doesn't, barring injury, put up those same numbers for the next three years. So Tyler Boyd is a guy where I'm, I'm moving a solid – like college piece if i if i'm trying to compete because i still get boyd for four or five years okay do you have anything you you know that you would do off the top of your head there if you're you're selling a college piece to get boyd yeah so if i'm looking at my current rankings and like i would give up as a wide receiver i would probably give up to marvin mims who i have as my wide receiver 14 straight okay. up for Tyler Boyd. If I'm looking to win on the college side now and I'm okay with, or if I'm looking to win on the NFL side now and I'm willing to give up something on the college side, if I'm giving up running backs, I think I would be okay with giving up to my RB 11 
which is Jerion Ely slash Zach Charbonnet. I have them like tied for that spot, although it's a huge drop off right where they sit. But that so that level of player I'd be willing to move. And then a quarterback, I might move. You know, uh, I might move a Graham Mertz or a Grant Gannell or a Grayson McCall. Like I might move that level of guy if I feel like a Tyler Boyd safe high floor, decent ceiling receiver is going to put me over the top of the NFL side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's fair. Uh, well, I know I haven't listened to the, uh, to the Debbie debate show yet. I didn't get a chance to listen to that one today, but I know Graham Mertz was a topic on that. So I'll be interested to listen to that. I don't think I would move Mertz. Um, but I mean, the rest of the guys, yeah, I would, I would definitely consider that. That's fair. And like, I mean, it's always hard to move a quarterback for a non-quarterback position, right. in my opinion. Um, I'm just not sure. He hasn't, he hasn't been like such an obvious guy for me this year that I think he's a, uh, um, like set for the NFL and he's going to be a top 10 pick no matter what. So if you're not that level of a quarterback, I'm f- probably fine moving you in a deal like that, to be honest. But That's fair. I mean, I think with my mindset on quarterbacks is they're, they're a little bit harder to move. Like you were saying, it's a little bit harder to move a quarterback. It's a little bit harder to acquire a quarterback. So I want to keep the guys on the college side who are the higher recruits and I want to keep them until I get a chance to see what they actually do. So I don't want to move, um, you know, somebody, if I haven't really seen what they've done, but if I liked their pro production, it's going to be tough for me to move them just because, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose a lot of value on that. And with a quarterback, like that's what, that's what happens. You know, you, you move a guy and then, you know, they blow up and then you lose a lot of value on that one. And, you know, it's great to, to sell off some of those guys, but with the quarterback position, like I said, I like to build my rosters around that as much as I can. So I like to hang on a little bit longer like kind of like we discussed with Josh Rosen. I mean, I'm still hanging on to Josh Rosen in a couple leagues, so I have a hard time letting go of, of guys it, that I really like. It's really sad. It's really sad, everybody. It's, it, I have him. I have Josh Rosen in, in at least three leagues still. I'm just I'm just waiting. Um, Mertz is in mobile though. Haven't you been saying all night that you want the mobile quarterback? True. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but I mean, Mertz has he has the ability to like extend some plays a little bit, um, but. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point there. I mean, with Mertz, though, I love that arm talent. So you either have to be a mobile guy or you have to have that arm talent. And I'm not ready to move off of Mertz yet. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, that's fair. Um, and we already said earlier that you're the trade guy, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to you on that. I, I claimed that by default just because I was hyping you up as the player evaluation guy. So I had to give myself something. Colin's a great wingman in case if anybody out there is looking to rent Colin as a wingman, I think he does on a, like a per night basis. Yeah, absolutely. And actually as far as weddings go, as long as it's an open bar, you know, my rates are very, very reasonable. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, I think that about does it for our show here tonight. Um, so just a couple of housekeeping things here before we say goodbye. Uh, as we talked a little bit about on last show, our, our normal schedule here now is going to be 
this podcast is going to come out like on Thursday nights pretty regularly. And then the campus life early week portion is going to come out either on Sunday nights or Mondays, um, depending on when we get to recording that week. But next week, the schedule is going to be a little bit off uh, with Christmas on Friday. Uh, we are not going to be recording our second episode of the week. So no Canton Bound half next week. We still will have a campus life for you um, in some shape or form. And uh, but other than that, uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We are on a bunch of platforms here now. We're live. We're on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, um, or the Google podcast thing, Radio Public. Uh, so we're, we're on a bunch of places. So uh, feel free to add us on any of those. And uh, people are only really listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, maybe Stitcher. Yeah, I'd never heard of Radio Public before. I'm honestly not really sure, um, but it was an, it was an option. I figured I might as well just check every box. So uh, you want to get the you want to get the old guys that listen to like uh, the radio still. Like we're gonna be on Sirius here soon, so they're gonna be like, "What the hell is this? Turn it off." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's another successful show, at least in my opinion, in the books. Uh, so I am Austin, and this is Colin, and we will see you guys next week. Have a good one.